that first test property we did uh, earned about $32,000 a year in its long-term status. And its first year uh, operating as a short-term rental, it earned $109,000. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, E? My brother. I love this time of the year. I know I keep saying that. I might sound like a broken record, but I love it. And the real estate market is going so well, so well that I just, I have no complaints. I am so busy every day and I'm just so grateful. And you know what's funny? The more busy I get, the more I realize that I love this shit, right? Like the more that like, I am like literally slammed back to back, showing contracts, send this, send that. And, um, I started reading this book called um, The Greatest Salesman from oh, so Jay Mandino. So yeah. good, right? So if you guys haven't read it, read it. It's amazing. But he has this concept in there in one of, it, one of the scrolls that talks about when you're ready to go home, do one last thing. Do one more thing. And then when you do that thing, do one more thing, right? So even being super busy, the power of... I really want to go to bed, but you just make that one, one more sale or process one more reservation or send out one more contract. It's almost addicting in the long run because you're like the day ends when I say it ends. So I'll have infinite amount of time to do whatever I want. And you just get into this mindset. You're like, can I do one more thing? And you're like, okay, I can do one more thing, right? Like I can do one more chore in the house even, right? You're like, okay, what, what else can I do, right? So it's been it's been 100%. good, man. I love that. How are you? I'm good. I'm How's good. your basement? Gotta, <laughs> basement's going well. Full on construction. So <laughs> I'm recording this in a spare bedroom in my house now. Uh, but I'm psyched, man. I'm hoping to have it ready by the end of the month. Um, yeah. Rough plumbing is in. Rough electrical is going in this weekend. It's all framed out. Um, some of the stuff's on pretty lengthy back order though. Like I ordered this this badass like steam shower that I cannot wait to put in. Uh, but I'm not going to get that till like late January. Dude, and, uh, some fitness equipment I ordered is like mid February now. Oh yeah, obviously yeah, because everybody's getting ready for a potential second round of lockdowns. Right. And, and Ikea is like that too, right? We're trying to get units done and we're having such a hard time getting pieces, mm. normal pieces that we get all the time. We have to just back order and stuff. So it's, it's good. I guess it's good. I hope all these people buying all these things actually have money and they're not just putting on credit cards, yeah. but that's a whole different story. Yeah, exactly. So today I am super excited to welcome a couple of guests. Uh, I connected with one of them a few weeks ago through one of our mastermind students and uh, had a real great convo, awesome energy, real good dude. So he and his business partner came on today. Uh, so we have Clinton Ramsden and Cody Monroe with us from Annapolis Capital today. So they are 
currently running 38 short-term rental units between Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and Annapolis, Maryland. And a portion of that is actually a boutique hotel. So they've got they've run the gamut now. They kind of mastered the short-term rental, vacation rental thing. And now they're scaling up into the boutique hotel space, which I absolutely love. So we had some fun talking shop for probably an hour a couple of weeks ago on that and all the different strategies and the tools that we're using. Um, and they've agreed to just come on and, and share their journey with us and, you know, lessons learned and, you know, what they're looking to do moving forward and all their awesome business knowledge and strategy. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Right, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here with you both. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you guys walk us back to how you got into this whole short-term rental game to begin with? Sure. So uh, Clint and I, uh, we met in uh, in flight school. We're both uh, uh, naval officers. And so we uh, we were completing flight school together and uh, became roommates in uh, in Jacksonville Beach, where we were eventually stationed. And, um, you know, we we both had a lot of uh, things in common that we learned. And, and one of those was just a, a general interest in business and investing. And so, you know, at, at this time, it was kind of coming off the heels of the real estate crisis. So there was a lot of interesting properties for sale. Um, prices were pretty low. And so it, it kind of gave two guys who were just sort of starting out an opportunity to, to get involved. So we, uh, you know, we started probably like a lot of people start uh, buying small properties. Our first property was a small fourplex in Jacksonville Beach. And, um, you know, no, no prior real estate experience. So we kind of learned starting on day one of, of owning that place. And, um, you know, just kind of kept at it uh, after a few years. And, uh, you know, eventually Airbnb uh, became a thing. It, it was invented. And uh, so we, uh, because we we liked buying properties uh, in good locations, um, you know, that had a, a high chance to appreciate, you know, a, a good place for, for the town to keep improving. Um, we found that that these, uh, a lot of these could be perfect for the, uh, the short-term rental market. So we, uh, you know, it's still a new technology, you know, it's unproven to us. So we took just one home and, uh, and we did a test run with it for one full year as uh, see how it, how it went. And it, it went great. So, uh, after that, we, you know, sort of systematically began converting, uh, the majority of our holdings over to the, the short-term rental market. And we're, we're happy we did. I love that. So you guys acquired the properties. You weren't doing like a management model or a master lease. You're actually acquiring properties for traditional rentals. That's correct. Um, we we own um, just about every uh, piece of real estate that we uh, that we operate. And um, yeah, we uh, a big decision we had to make early on was how do we attack the the management? You know, especially because you know we're we're military members subject to you know going to different locations really at any time. So um, we had to decide, should we hire a management company or should we try to build something internally? And uh, we, we went with the internal build option. Uh, so we, we hired an employee. She was going to be a full-time employee um, who would focus on uh, just our assets. And uh, the, the company's kind of uh, grown around that, that management concept. That's, That's awesome. awesome. So when you guys originally bought something together, this was before Airbnb, you say you bought a fourplex. Was that like a house hacking kind of situation? Like you guys were living into one of the units or, or did you always buy it? Like was a hundred percent an investment? No, so I'll, uh, I'll take that one. It's uh, Clint speaking. Um, so no, it, it wasn't house hacking. It was uh, originally designed as uh, just a, as an investment property. Um, we actually, um, you know, Cody and I both mutually decided, um, you know, being in the Navy is great. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a great source of, 
uh, income and it's a great sort of, of active income. It's in a great, it's a great place to really um, draw some uh, outstanding leadership uh, experiences. Uh, but what we want to do is increase our passive income. Uh, I always think that's funny coming to that. Uh, we came to that conclusion that we want to increase our passive income source, but you know, obviously our involvement has been anything but passive. So uh, yeah. <laughs> we identified a, a, a four unit uh, multifamily property. And our original goal was just to, uh, you know, we were, we were involved. I think uh, Cody and I both uh, just wrapped up reading uh, multifamily millionaires. And we saw that, uh, you know, as two guys who were starting with limited capital, the element of real estate investment that we prioritized most was cash flow because the cash flow would then be able to fuel the growth uh, for future uh, real estate investment opportunities. So uh, we targeted a four unit, which was probably the largest, uh, the highest number of units that we could conceivably afford together, um, but also, uh, you know, was generating some really outstanding cash flow. Um, we've uh, mostly, uh, this year is the first time we've ever sold properties um, but that was our original investment in 2013 and we still have it. It's still, uh, an outstanding, uh, outstanding performing multifamily property and the rents have increased there over 100% since the time we purchased it. Nice. Wow. So what you guys, so that one, you still have it. So has that been converted to an Airbnb property and you do the whole kind of fourplex or do you do it as a hybrid now? Like you have half and half. We, we still uh, rent that as a, as a long-term rental. Um, yeah, we're, we're pretty aggressive guys, uh, but I think uh, introducing a, a 600 foot, 600 square foot multifamily property that is, you know, designed and uh, for, um, for long-term rentals, introducing uh, disparate groups into that small living environment, I think would be a little too far, uh, a little too aggressive for, for our taste because of the inevitable noise complaints and, uh, and difficulty associated with that accessing that. So most of our vacation rental properties, actually all are, um, are single family homes, detached townhomes uh, or attached townhomes. Um, and there is a one seven unit multifamily property across three buildings that we do operate as a short-term rental. Got it. That's great. And so when you started acquiring those properties, was the intention to rent them out long-term or was the original intention to run them as short-term? Uh, our original intent was uh, strictly long-term. Um, we, we wanted to, to, to stay as buyers, you know, continue to, to build our portfolio, um, all 12 month leases in place. Um, it was actually one of our investors who, who first, uh, brought us the idea. Um, and, and we said, uh, Hey, let's, let's try it out. Let's test it. And so, uh, it was only once we, we saw what the short-term, you know, how the properties performed on the short-term market, um, that we, uh, that we, we liked what we saw and, and started converting everything over. That's great. Yeah, Mike. So from a, I'm just, I always like to ask this question because most people don't understand the cash flow benefit of the short-term rentals. So from comparing apples to apples, you know, what was one of the properties long-term rents versus what you're getting now as a short-term rental? Sure. So that, that first test property we did uh, earned about $32,000 a year in its long-term status. And its first year uh, operating as a short-term rental, it earned $109,000. Wow. Wow. That's solid. <laughs> That's really yeah, solid. Big jump. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, so I, I think, I think uh, it's important to note that, you know, uh, because Cody and I still had full-time uh, employment uh, in, a, in, a, in an area of employment that I think is, is at times particularly demanding on your time, 
we 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 could only conceivably uh, handle long-term lease agreements where you know your involvement was once monthly at rent collection and the occasional maintenance or uh, you know it, uh, tenant-related issue. So for us, uh, I think like a lot of short-term real estate investors or people who want to be involved in short-term rental or see it as a prospective opportunity, we had a lot of hesitancy because like everyone else, I think just our lack of familiarity discouraged our uh, discouraged us from participating because of course, aren't people going to trash your home? Of course, aren't people going to every bad example that, uh, you see that makes the news, right? Uh, in reality, that's such a small percentage. Um, in fact, uh, at this point, because our, uh, short-term vacation rental portfolio has grown, uh, so significantly, uh, that of course, you know, we, we've had, uh, a couple noise related issues, but nothing at all, um, really uh, notable. Uh, in fact, for a while, uh, even w while having 20 uh, short-term vacation rental properties, we had more noise-related and like police uh, incidents on a property where a, po a police officer would have to come to the property. That happened more frequently on our long-term rentals than our short-term rentals. Um, just because um, most of our guests are, are fantastic. And uh, if you set up the processes and procedures to um, you know, manage these assets appropriately, it really, uh, you know, one should not be discouraged from uh, his or her participation. Yeah. And that, that keyword there, right? Like your process and procedures, right? And that's, that's all, all that really matters. Um, so what, what does your team look like now? Right? So are you guys in the Navy still now? Or are you retired? So you're still in the Navy. So is that how we you are. find good deals? You just fly with your plane over places and then you look down? Do I get I, a percentage I, I of that? I wish it was that since, easy. <laughs> since, I mean, but like we as taxpayers pay for it, right? So we can get a, a little kickback if you find something. No, I'm joking. But what's your team like? You guys have a lot of people. Is that all military? Like, are you guys all military guys? So the on the investor side, the the equity owners of the company, there's there's 14 um, members today, and it's uh, it's almost exclusively military people. Um, the the way we got started was after Clint and I bought that first fourplex. Um, you know, we we got some knowledge underneath us, started to understand really how it worked, and then you know a, a lot of our friends they were coming back from deployment, and they. Uh, you know, when you're in the desert uh, as, as a U.S. Marine or you're on a, a ship as, as a Navy sailor, it's it's tough to spend your paycheck. You know, There's, so you, you're it's a force saving mechanism. So these guys would come back from deployment and they say, hey, you know, what do I do with this money I saved up? Do I buy a car? Do I buy a house? Do I invest in something? So uh, on the ownership side of the company, that's how we started partnering uh, these these different guys up uh, was was through that method. Um, then on the operation side of the company, um, we, we stay pretty lean. Um, we have a, a full-time employee in, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, um, who, her, her one job is just operations, running the portfolio, making sure guests are happy, you know, coordinating, uh, maintenance techs, cleaners, that type of thing. And then, um, as the portfolio grew, we, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a heck of a lot of communication with, with, uh, guests occurring, you know, on, on Airbnb through, through every channel. And so we actually opened a second office in Washington, DC, hired an employee up there, and she has taken over all communications uh, related things. So even though all of our guests uh, are in Jacksonville, they're actually talking to someone located in Washington, DC. That's great. Got and it. then from a, from a system standpoint, <clears throat> 
obviously as you grow and scale, at least in, in my case and in Eve's case, that that kind of evolution of different automations and softwares and technologies that you use to streamline that business as much as possible. What has that looked like for you guys? And what, what types of tools like are you using dynamic pricing or property management systems? Like obviously like any of the automated booking confirmations and some of the vanilla responses that you can automate. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, that's, that's been a, a the, I, I'd say the, the, if there is one ingredient in which we could identify has uh, contributed to our ability to succeed while growing has been uh, uh, leveraging uh, some of that uh, technology. Uh, Mike, I know you and I, I talked, you and I talked about this earlier, and then I also was listening to your podcast with uh, the hotel management consultant, Adam Knight. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he emphasized the fact that hotels just simply cannot succeed. Uh, hotels, short-term vacation rentals um, really a nearly indistinguishable difference at this point, um, but they can't succeed without a reliable, repeatable process uh, um, that that's in place that can, that creates a consistent guest experience. Um, so for us, um, the areas where we've um, implemented, uh, you know, technological advancements are uh, things like, as Cody mentioned, guest communication. So we have our director of guest relations. Uh, but we, you know, use a property management software and we have automated message responses. So uh, things like uh, rental agreements, those are automatically sent out when a booking occurs and a guest is able to e-sign. Uh, we've evolved a long way from the time when we used to send, uh, you know, PDFs to, uh, to we take their uh, email addresses into Gmail, send the uh, contract, ask for a, ask them to print it sign it, scan it, return it. Now it's all um, electronic and it's, it's much easier. And, and, and that's really when the guest experience starts, right? It doesn't start when they walk through your front door, as you gentlemen know, it starts, uh, you know, prior to booking through, uh, you know, post booking prior to check-in throughout check-in and even in, in post stay. So uh, we use that. Um, we use, uh, you know, bookkeeping and accounting automated tools uh, to ensure that our financials, are timely, accurate, and reliable. Uh, that becomes extremely helpful when you're doing things like uh, loan refinances. Um, and then, uh, you know, we we've also uh, we also used a, a pricing intelligence engine uh, via our uh, our property management system on the on the hotel on the hotel side. So um, the we we're also um, about to bring on board a, a, a dedicated uh, bookkeeper and uh, office manager to help us deal with the uh, with accounting uh, because that is tougher to automate. Um, and then also things like mail. The company does get a lot of mail at this point, so we need someone to help handle that and really enforce the uh, the processes that Cody and I um, have devised. So um, at this point, our company will be um, five full time employees strong. Um, we do have exclusive contract relationships with about uh, 10 uh, other employees, uh, but um, absolutely have relied on uh, leveraging uh, technological advancements uh, in the short-term vacation rental and uh, boutique hotel uh, space so that we can, um, we, can, we can grow while also still maintaining a consistent guest experience. Yeah. And what, what I guess triggered you so the vacation rentals have been going great. You've getting those systems dialed in. What triggered you now to get into that boutique hotel game? Because I, I do know it's a different animal and it's different systems and different tools. So what, I guess, what was the draw to that for you? And I know you and I spoke offline about that, but I do want to bring that up because I think it's a really good point. 
Yeah, no, we were we were kind of moving and grooving with the uh, with the short term rental, you know, single family home thing for a while. And um, we were, uh, were actually up in a uh, at a wedding in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, there was this kind of crazy looking property for sale um, that we eventually learned was a, a bed and breakfast property. And, um, you know, as as I was getting a tour from the real estate agent, you know, I, I was starting to, to learn a little bit more about the sort of small hotel concept. And the, the more Clint and I thought through it, uh, we realized that, hey, you know, uh, despite our name, uh, Annapolis Capital Partners, um, everything we owned was in Jacksonville Beach. Uh, but this eventually turned into our first foray uh, to something actually in Annapolis, um, which is a, a great town. It's a, it's a huge uh, tourism town or 2.5 million visitors a year visit the city. And so we thought we could take um, a couple of, of these small boutique hotels that were getting sold as a package together and uh, improve their operations, improve their look, you know, bring in some, some really talented designers to assist us. And um, uh, we've, we've uh, really overhauled them in a, in a great way. Uh, so where there's some of the, the most beautiful uh, boutique hotels in the, in the city. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, Mike, I would, I would add that too. Thanks. E. I, I would, yeah. I would add to that, that, uh, you know, one consistent investment theme that Cody and I have always adhered to is um, investing in the places that you know. Uh, so obviously our first uh, assignment in the Navy was uh, flying helicopters in Jacksonville. So uh, I'm from Florida. Cody, I'm from South Florida. I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Cody is from uh, Colorado. That's where he grew up. Um, but so we, we both were unfamiliar with Northeast Florida. So um, not until we lived there for uh, it's probably more than a year, at, at least several months. Did we feel comfortable and see the, tra the trajectory of the area after going to school in Annapolis for four years and you know having our families visit us for different events? We noticed that there was um, a segment of the market that was being unserved. Uh, you know, Annapolis is a very old city. It's very old world. Uh, I recommend any anyone listening to to visit it. Uh, it's uh, it's wonderfully positioned, about a half hour driving. Uh, from both the Baltimore and Washington D.C. metro areas, and about an hour from Philadelphia, so it's 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 proximity, uh, it's driving proximity and accessibility to major metro centers is fantastic. However, you basically had to make a choice when you visit Annapolis. Do you want to stay in a high end, you know, in, in that range at a Double Tree or a or a Westin? If you do that, though, you're going to be outside the historic district where ever, that everyone really has come to know and love about Annapolis. And if you want to stay in the historic district, you're going to have to stay in a place that is honestly just very antique and it's not going to have the modern amenities that we all expect to have. And this is basic stuff like Wi-Fi, flat screen TVs, um, you know, and uh, so if you want the modern upgraded guest experience, you have to be out closer to the main highway. But if you want to stay in close in, you have to sacrifice uh, the quality. So both Cody and I live that experience. Our parents live that experience. And, and so we were familiar with this. We, said we, I, we were able to quickly identify us that market segment with, a, with an unmet need. So um, without knowing that, we probably wouldn't have been as comfortable. Combine that with the fact that you know, we now had uh, seven years of short-term rental experience, uh, we felt confident enough to enter, enter hospitality because we sort of felt like we we're already in it. And that has sort of, uh, that's, that's definitely held true. I uh, borrowed a lot of the lessons from the short-term rental operations and applied those to, to the uh, uh, boutique hotel because there's a lot of overlap, as you well know, Mike. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would like to kind of bring us back one second because I think we kind of walked over this, uh, but 
So the way that you guys buy properties, from my understanding, is that you have a bunch of guys that have come to know and trust you for what you've done. And then they invest with you guys, which I think I think it's a very important thing for people listening. We all run out of money. Like our own personal money runs out. I still haven't figured a way to solve that. Um, <laughs> I didn't start robbing banks. Um, but then again, there's other complications with that. So I don't want to do it. But so the people and the friends and your family are you going to be your number one source of money when you start investing. And all they need to know, and I'm saying this to people listening, is that you know what you're doing and that they can trust you, right? So what does that kind of look like? So if, if there's somebody listening that's done something similar, right? There are two guys that have a couple of things going. What was the conversation like? How did you guys kind of build it? Kind of walk us through all of that. Sure. So, so back in 2013, when we started, um, you know, one thing we, we quickly realized uh, was, hey, you know, individually, neither of us has you know, sufficient funds that we saved up from our Navy paychecks to, to get involved in, in real estate alone. But together, we actually have, you know, can pool our resources, you know, as well as our, our various talents uh, to, to buy something, you know, larger than, than just a single family home. Um, so that was, uh, you know, kind of our first lesson, you know, you, you'll see, um, you know, some people it's kind of like, uh, you know, an individual or a couple, you know, it's kind of like them against the world. Like, you know, they, they only use their own dedicated resources to try to grow. And, you know, over a lifetime, you can, you can end up buying, uh, you know, several dozen properties, uh, by yourself. But if you're willing to go the, the team route, the group route, um, raise money from other people who, you know, know and like and trust you, um, you know, that dozen becomes hundreds or, or maybe even thousands. Um, so it, it just really goes to show the, the power of, uh, of working together, working as a team. Mm. So do you have and, and, and if you're not comfortable talking about this, this is fine as well. But do you guys build it as an as an LLC? Do you build it as a fund where all the members are part of it? Or does one guy come into one property with you guys and then there's a different guy for a different property? That's a great question. E. And, uh, and actually in 2018, our company was reorganized for this specific purpose. So uh, prior to this, uh, to the company's reorganization, uh, investors would have the opportunity to say, okay, you know, we'd present them with this deal, three property deal. Uh, and we'd, uh, you know, tried to syndicate, um, uh, you know, the funds we needed to uh, make the purchase. And so uh, some people had ownership in group A, some had ownership in group B, some had group A and B. And what we ultimately, uh, we, working under the counsel of a fantastic uh, corporate attorney was, uh, we're just, um, this is just an unscalable model, the way we're currently organized. So in 2018, we reorganized, all properties were contributed to a single uh, LLC. And everyone's ownership interest was uh, consolidated into that LLC. And instead of having ownership, direct ownership of properties, they now have uh, percentage ownership of a company. And so uh, that has allowed us to, uh, and, and that really was the most important decision we ever made, was stru uh, structuring, structuring the company in a way that lenders, investors felt comfortable seeing. Uh, because uh, I think the last thing you want a lender or an investor to say when you present them with an opportunity is I've never seen that before. 
because that just, uh, you know, produces a certain level of discomfort uh, in underwriting and, uh, and, and it deters investment. Now we look very simple and um, lenders, investors feel very comfortable with us and it's allowed us to grow our company about uh, fourfold uh, since that reorganization. So um, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's an excellent question, e, and honestly, a very meaningful company decision for your listeners to consider. Um, Cody and I, uh, we have a tendency of sort of um, charging ahead uh, at full speed. And we have kind of this bias for action that is good in that while some people are kind of sitting around and paralyzed by decision making, we'll press ahead. What I would recommend is when considering uh, syndication um, and uh, corporate structuring, to request the services of a corporate attorney who will get you um, started on the right track in, in a way and, and can evidence uh, or can, can bring to your attention um, some of the unknown variables that you haven't even considered yet. Um, but uh, to answer your question more briefly, uh, the structure of our company is an LLC. Uh, we have several disregarded entities under our holding company just for um, uh, corporate uh, um, corporate liability and, 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 and insurance liability protection. But uh, we have all of our investors for all intents and purposes, are, our equity investors are percentage ownership owners of uh, the company that owns all the properties. Got it. In line and I think, with that, sorry, just real quick, because I'm curious on that. One, I would think when you're making that move, it's making sure that you know, like, and trust all the investors that you're getting into bed with for the long term, and that they're on board with the vision of where you're going. And then when you're like for the hotel as an example, what does that conversation look like? Is there like a capital call where all the investors start raising additional funds? Or how does how does that work as you're expanding with that model? Sure. Yeah. No, it's um, the the way that the company operates. It it is a, a legal LLC, but it sort of operates like a open ended uh, real estate private equity fund. So you know when when those new and larger deals come along, like a, a you know package of multiple boutique hotels for sale, you know we have the ability to raise whatever type of money is required for that particular capital stack. So if we need to raise some new equity um, or you know new debt investors. A, a new bank, we, we're, we're able to do that. And we have the flexibility installed uh, to, to make those deals happen. But so since you guys are buying investment properties, right? Because the only thing, the main thing that I think about every time that I, at a, that I meet somebody that's been in the military or is part of the military is obviously your main advantage is your VA loan and access to VA loans. Obviously with this not being your, your house, you can't use VA loans, but is there other kind of loans that you guys have access to as military that if somebody is in the military can kind of like tap into or, or is that only for, for houses? So uh, I think to answer your question there pretty quickly, we, we haven't used um, VA loans uh, just because um, you know, our corporate structure requires that we use commercial financing um, VA yeah. loan. Also, you know, that, um, at, when you purchase it, um, one of the requirements is that it will be your primary residence. Yeah, correct. Um, so you can. So do that. yeah, correct. Yeah, uh, but um, you know, I, I think it, it's a it's a really good discussion. Um, Mike uh, br brought this up. He, he cited, you know, when you're attracting investors and capital, um, they need to uh, not only know and trust you, but they need to be like minded and have similar expectations. So uh, Cody described our entity as being uh, very similar to and really 
performing exactly like an open-ended real estate private equity fund. So you you will not be surprised to know that a lot of our investors are similarly aged and in similar stages of life. Um, with that, we have the ability to make the most optimal decision when it comes to selling, acquiring real estate. And as the managing members, we do have the to- have, have total control of, of when we do that. Um, now, because we have every, we have, you know, Cody and I are also the largest investors in the company. We're not just managing other people's assets here. We, these are also our assets. We're, we're incentivized to make the best decision because it's open-ended. Uh, we have the operational flexibility to decide let's sell this property at this peak time rather than something that's closed-ended and would, you know, force us into sale at a less advantageous time. But with that, Mike, you, you know, you mentioned you need to find people who are, who are, who are prepared to do that. Right. So if we had, you know, older investors, gentlemen, you know, who are investing uh, at 70 years old, they may not be as acquiescent to a 15 year buy and hold strategy that these 30 year old uh, partners are that we have today. So that was a very important point to clarify up front and has, uh, headed off a lot of investor discontent who would say, Hey, like the properties look great. These properties have increased in value by hundred percent. Why don't we sell them now? Well, because operationally they're doing extremely well and we see additional opportunities for appreciation. Having that discussion up front has prevented any sort of headaches. We've, uh, you know, has headed off headaches from the, uh, from the investor pool. A hundred percent. Cause I know like just personally, like my two partners on my hotel deal, same as you guys, they're similar age. We have similar goals. We're in alignment with where we're going and it's a long-term play for us. So if the point was like, if you had those different demographics, there's different motivational factors into when do we want to refi or when do we want to exit this type of deal? So having everybody in alignment on here's the vision, here's where we're going, here's the strategy, I think is huge. And I, to your point, I think it's a great advantage to create that pool of people that are all on the same page with you so that you're not constantly going out and hunting for new investors. It's like, you've got your tight group. Maybe if you find a larger deal or whatever, and it, you know, warrants additional opportunity for maybe like some private debt financing or bringing on additional equity investor. But I I do like that model. And I have not seen that. Most people tend to steer towards the syndication, especially in the multifamily space, but I do like the structure that you guys have set up. I think it's cool and innovative. So. Yeah, thank you. I I have to uh, credit Cody a lot for that. I think he's one of the most brilliant, uh, like financial engineering minds I've ever um, interacted with. Uh, and a one kind of funny aside: if you were to do an average age, uh, average age uh, profile of our equity investors and our private debt investors, I think you will find uh, the private debt investors are about two times uh, the age of our uh, equity investors. That, Probably somewhat. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So what, what is the vision guys? Like what, what, what are you guys working on? What's, what's in the blueprint and, and you guys are the managing partners, right? So is the vision. So do you beat the drum and then kind of everybody keeps pace or, or how does that work? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think one's abilities, you know, um, their, their talents, uh, for, for anyone getting involved in, in real estate investing in any capacity, you know, are, are only going to increase over time. So, you know, when we started out, uh, and especially because we had, you know, separate, uh, demanding full-time jobs, you know, our, our main strategy was, okay, we, we know we can acquire places, but we, we, let's focus on like new construction, right? Comes with no problems. It's prepackaged, ready to go short-term rental speaking, all you really have to do is purchase the furniture and, and you're off to the races. So, you know, in the beginning, we would focus on, you know, trying to buy maybe blocks of homes from from builders and their their remaining new construction. Um, but then, you know, as time wore on and we, we became more comfortable with different things, we learned more. Um, then we started getting into, you know, more in-depth renovation projects. So, you know, those renovations were in Jacksonville Beach, they would just be maybe a, a dated condo or, or a dated home that just needed some, uh, you know, some some love and care in the kitchen and the bathrooms, things like that. So then, you know, you become more comfortable with that. And, you know, before we knew it, we're doing uh, a, a pretty advanced um, uh, renovation of a 171 year old, very historic boutique hotel in uh, in Annapolis, Maryland. And, and that'll really take, you know, all of your talents and all of your energy. So I think as time goes on, we'll we'll keep pursuing those same kind of uh, unique projects. And, you know, if, if there's work to be done, I think that's uh, that's also where you'll find some of the, the cooler opportunities to, to create new value as well. So are you guys targeting like if you had to kind of identify your focus for call it 2021, <clears throat> obviously getting the the boutique hotel up and running and, and streamlined. As far as future acquisitions, do you see that being more of your focus, more on the commercial size properties or still doing like a blend of a lot of short-term rentals and then maybe once in a while do the bigger property? I think it's probably closer to the latter. Uh, we'll always want to, uh, we'll always want to incorporate a blend. I think the uh, geographic dispersion of our assets just creates a, a sort of uh, risk offset strategy that uh, makes a lot of sense uh, for, for us. And uh, I think our investors appreciate that. Um, we really just do sincerely believe in the Jacksonville market uh, and uh, from and looking at the data and looking at uh, and talking to, you know, some other anecdotal uh, evidence from uh, conversations from people who are from this, the Bay Area and San Francisco, or from New York, in the New York City area, we're seeing a lot of mass migration of those people into the into the Northeast Florida market. So I think we'll always want to be participants there. And frankly, we have this positional advantage because we got started so much sooner. So as when these people, these new investors into the market, are having to buy properties uh, at you know twice the value where we purchased a comparable property, they have to set their rates higher uh, just to just to compete, just to keep the doors open. Um, we so we we feel like we we have a uh, a positional advantage that no one's going to really undercut us on rates. Otherwise, they're just going to lose money, and I don't think that's a viable strategy. Um, as, as Cody mentioned, you know, in uh, 2020 has been a challenging year, no doubt about it. Um, uh, the we we took it we it was a year of reflection for us, in addition to a year of adaptation. So. Uh, in 2021, I think our focus is going to be uh, improving internally. I suspect uh, when uh, you know the vaccine is broadly implemented and travel trends return to some uh, degree of normalcy, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the short-term vacation rental market. If anything, um, you know people will be more comfortable. But I think also people uh, short-term vacation rental uh, market penetration has increased during this period. 
Uh, people previously who were used to going to hotels are now much more comfortable going to short-term vacation rental properties that are isolated, no common areas, contactless check-in 100%. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll also be uh, finishing the renovation of our second uh, boutique hotel property and uh, focusing on uh, operational improvements of the property that uh, we completed here at the end of uh, 2020. For sure. Awesome. And, and, and I know you guys are going to do great because I think that it's every, every business that should always be in what are you doing for next year? Because if you run any business and you tell me my operations and my systems are perfect, we don't have to touch them anymore, you're full of shit. Because there's no <laughs> way. Like, things change all the time. Like Think about how much we changed in the past six months. We have no clue for the next six months. So if you're not willing to recreate the mold for your operational structure, you're not going to survive long term. And that's the way maybe a lot of older investors have done it. But the market changes so rapidly now. Um, so, holy shit. So... We want to be respectful of your time. We're just, we could talk for hours. Um, where could people kind of look you guys up? What's the name of your hotel in Annapolis? Because I'll come and see you guys whenever it's oh, actually, it's winter out there. Never mind. I, I won't be there until <laughs> June. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's beautiful year round. Uh, but you can look us up. Uh, the, the name of the hotel is uh, 134 Prince. That's the address, uh, 134 nice. Prince George Street in Annapolis. Uh, and you can you can visit us online at 134prince.com. Hmm. Awesome. What a great address. Like, you couldn't have done it better. <laughs> Got lucky on that one. Prince. Yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. Well, the, the final question... Uh, and first off, before I even get to the final question, I want to thank you again for coming on here and acknowledge, you know, all your success and all of your innovation. And it's just a, it's an acknowledgement to both of you and your consistent action and your discipline and your, your focus on actually building a business. And I, we harp on this all the time on this podcast about if you really want to do this and create a business, you have to treat it like a business. And both of you guys have done that. You've invested your time, blood, sweat, and tears, and then your capital into not only the properties, but into getting the professional help from, you know, attorneys and accountants and all those different things to really create a true business that can grow and scale and build that life for yourselves and your investors that you wanted from the get-go. So thank you guys again for coming on and sharing all that. And the last question that we like to ask all of our guests, and I'll, I want to get both of your answers on this one is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? Clint, you want to go first? Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. A a absolutely. And uh, no, E, Mike, seriously, thank you both for, for having us on. Um, this has been a lot of fun and, uh, and I look forward to speaking with you both and continuing our relationship because I, I think it's obvious we have a lot of uh, overlap in our interests and in our businesses. And I think uh, there's no better way to learn than, uh, um, speaking with people who are doing it in the, in the industry, uh, like you guys are for real. So, um, much, much appreciate this opportunity. Uh, but to answer your question, I think the best, um, the number one secret to our success, and I don't think it's in a secret, it, it, any secret is, um, we're, we're both willing to adapt to change. Um, I think, uh, change adaptation is the number one predictor for success. Um, change, uh, let's be honest, it's an unavoidable constant in the hospitality industry, and, and really in most industries for that matter. Um, you know, sometimes the roles and processes within a company will change for the better, as in, you know, at 
the adaptation to the technological advantages that we spoke about earlier that improve management efficiency. Uh, but sometimes change is unfavorable. And I think uh, you don't have to look too much further than this year when a once in a century pandemic uh, universally contracted travel demand. Um, in my view, um, the businesses uh, that can change and adapt are gonna be the ones that are most successful. Uh, and to use the example I previously cited, um, a company's ability to implement the technological advance advancements will um, you know, gain a larger market share and provide a more reliable, positive guest experience than a competitor who resists that change and wants to do it the old fashioned way. Um, and, and frankly, um, you know, there's been many examples in 2020 when um, companies uh, didn't want to adapt their model to uh, the 2020 travel trends. And so um, that, that has been unfortunate. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, um, the one thing Cody and I also do is when there is unfavorable change, we'll look for opportunity there. Um, you know, this year it's been implementing a 100% contactless check-in that has also, um, you know, yielded some really positive operational results for us. So, um, yeah, for me, it's adaptation to change. Um, it's the only change is the only thing that's comp constant. Um, I think that's a cliche, but I think it's very true, especially in our industry and, uh, our ability to overcome it has, has absolutely um, allowed us to surge ahead when some of our competitors, I think, have sort of lagged behind. Well said. That's, uh, I wish I had an uh, answer as, as eloquent as, uh, as Clint, uh, but I, I think my, my number one factor would be uh, just simply a, a willingness to work hard. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever uh, seen a single person who I knew was a, a very hard worker who also wasn't very successful in wh whatever they were doing. You know, uh, if, if, if you just have a, a dogged willingness and it's in your bones to, to work really hard, you, you're going to be successful. It's, it's over time. If you just keep at it, it's, it's inevitable, uh, for, for guys like Clint and I, you know, that would be putting in a eight hour workday with the Navy coming home, starting the next eight hour workday, trying to grow the company. Uh, working all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Uh, there's not a lot of time for hobbies and and fun things when that's your schedule. But you know, if if you stick to a, a rigorous schedule like that over time, uh, you're you're going to be successful, and it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Mm. Those are great. Those are great, great tips. Great tips. Also, this 134 Prince guys looks absolutely amazing. All these pictures look amazing. All your finishing touches, everything you guys have done with with the design it just looks very very cool very neat so if you are going as a listener to annapolis definitely check them out 134prince.com is their website it we'll have it linked in the show gorgeous. notes too yes so you guys can check yeah that out. you guys you guys did great i love it so thanks i appreciate it yeah thanks, well appreciate thank you that. guys again for coming on really appreciate it look forward to following you guys uh keeping in touch and seeing all the success with the boutique hotels and on the short-term rental side so we'll talk to you soon awesome thank you guys thank you guys Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.